Pericles, Prince of Time. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Pericles Episode 4 Commentary. I'm Adam Blanford. I am the director for this episode of Pericles, our penultimate episode. And uh, with me is Jeff Robinson. Hey, Adam. Good to be here. Good to see you, or good to hear you, I should say. Um, We're waiting to see if Morgan's going to show up, but otherwise we'll just wing it without him. Uh, We'll just make things up about Shakespeare, and hopefully they'll be right. So... All right, so jumping into this episode, you know, I'm uh, I I got this one, and it was it was definitely challenging because this is where um, this is where the the daughter washes up on shore, or she's she's abducted by pirates, right, and ends up in uh, oh man, I'm I'm blanking tonight on everything. Um, she ends up in uh, a foreign hmm. land. What's the name of the land, Jeff? You got the you've got the you got the script. I'm dying here. Yeah, I think it's Mytilene. Yeah, yeah, Mytilene. Sorry, it's like my brain just suddenly decided to delete all of the information at once. Uh, so she, yeah, so, what's that? It's a lot to keep track of for sure between the characters and the locations they travel to. No question. <laughs> Yeah, and and that was one of the things that we had to do here is that uh, you know we had to figure out how to you know create the musical cues for Middleine because Middleine was really unusual, you know, um, and, and we had to figure out you know what the what the the soundscape was going to be for it, and just it was definitely an interesting challenge overall for this mm-hmm. episode, and uh, it was a lot of fun to put together. Because, you know, it was like, okay, what is this foreign land? What is it going to emulate? Right. And I I, I don't know. It, it was a really cool thing to do just overall. And here we and here have we are. Julia Eve. Yes, Julia Eve, I was going to say, as Dionysa, uh, you know, basically, um, as the script says, this is cold-blooded instructions for a murder. So she is pulling no punches here, telling Leonine, Hey, you have a job, and that is to uh, kill Marina. And uh, yeah, Julia, as we've said in other commentaries, a spectacular job um, in this role. Uh, just somebody who shows shows no mercy, even after Pericles has shown her and Cleon um, much mercy, uh, has, has no moral qualms whatsoever about uh, putting out this hit here. Well, that, yeah. And, and when I read the script originally, I, it just... At first, you know, she's so grateful that uh, Pericles has rendered it aid and assistance, and then suddenly it's like, oh, nope, we're going to kill your kid. I mean, how's that for gratitude, you know? (laughs) Yeah, talking about an an abrupt shift. And uh, very, very uh, cold-blooded. And then we have the the, the foil. We have, uh, let's see, who is it? I've I've finally got stuff up. Hold up here, so I sort of know what's going on now. Uh, Emmeline Tuck as as Marina, she puts in a fantastic job. Oh yes, absolutely, uh, terrific job with this uh, with this character who uh, goes through quite a lot uh, between this episode and and uh, the next one. Um, you know, basically, uh, essentially being sold into into prostitution, but uh, maintaining her honor. Uh, at all costs through her, you know, ingenuity, as we'll see later on in the episode. Excellent work by her. Yeah, I, I have to say it was challenging trying to find a take to use because they were all great. 
and mm, you know yep. trying to find just that little emotional tone was really what I was looking for because there there really weren't any flaws that mm-hmm. made it easy to eliminate certain takes right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So I, I started uh, you know just putting her lines together and playing them off of uh, off of Leonine and off of Dionysa. Yeah, I particularly like this exchange um, between the two, where Dionysa is, um, you know, clearly uh, not not projecting uh, her plans, but uh, you know, acting like her, you know, sweet sweet mother that she doesn't uh, that she doesn't have, since she believes her mother is dead. Um, great, uh, great interaction between the two here. Absolutely. So, Adam, any uh, any particular you know difficulties? Uh, I know it's been a few weeks since uh, since uh, you cut this episode, but uh, any any particular difficulties that come to mind that you can remember between the uh, transitions between the scenes, or whether it's the sound effects or the scoring? Um, what uh, what really uh, did you did you find yourself spending the vast majority of your time on directing this episode? Uh, a lot of it was was yeah trying to figure out the overall sound effects and the soundscape because in certain instances you've got things like the uh, the seagulls in the background. Um, you know you want the seagulls to emphasize that they're near the sea, but you don't want it to be prevalent in the right. first scene with Dionysia and Leonine because you know they're not sitting next to the seaside. They're, exactly. You know Leonine's going to take her on a walk. So I was like, okay, let's make this more pastoral. We'll start with the with the seagulls, and we'll transition kind of into a more pastoral scene, and then we can go into the uh, attempted murder, and and really use that the sound effects by the seaside more effectively. So a, a lot of it was just really trying to figure out what kinds of soundscapes were applicable here, mm-hmm. and which ones were were you know we can leave out, we can do without. Less is more. Um, you know, we we did really need a you know good sound effects for the drawing of the knife. That one took a little while to find. Uh, we just yeah. heard Leonine draw the dagger and uh, trying to find that 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 perfect sound to impart what was going on took a little bit of time. Yeah, then, yeah. I'd also say the music was 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 uh, was a challenge because you want to find things like with the uh, with a period piece you don't want to use electric guitar, sure, because that seems anachronistic. But you do want something that's got the proper tempo and the proper you know, um, ominous nature that you need. And so here, that that was one thing that I really struggled with was what can I use that gives that sense of urgency? Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily I found a track that worked really well. Yeah, I've encountered the same challenge. And, you know, with a, with a production that's multiple episodes, you often have to um, make sure you haven't used a piece of music already in an earlier episode. Unless, of course, it's your intent to, to reuse a certain... Uh, theme what or whatnot uh, if it's tied to a specific character for example but that's another challenge you know when when you're uh, several episodes in making sure that you're not <laughs> recycling a piece of music unintentionally <laughs> yeah and and there's a, a tendency to you know people will use the same piece of music because it's so good and it's across multiple shows right <laughs> and so you don't want to be like oh well they only have a subscription to one service so we don't want to use the same song over and over again so right, exactly. i really tried to find things that were off the beaten path Mm-hmm. And uh, things that were interesting. Pirates were, were a little bit of a challenge too, because what kind of music do you have? Like like the Tune Peddler, I don't think had a lot of sea shanty kind of stuff. So, uh-huh. yeah, finding something else that was just kind of quirky 
but urgent. Luckily, that that one, this uh, kind of string track was worked well, and we yeah, were able to put that together. Or not we. I'm not the imperial we. I was able to put that together and make that work. Marina, who should have been slain, are now arrived at Metaline. And now Theo holt Bailey as uh, Gower comes back in, leading us to our next um, transition. Um, really, uh, Morgan did did a really nice job, I think, uh, as dramaturge. Um, you know, giving giving Gower these uh, snippets in between scenes, making it clear, okay, mm -hmm. this is where you've been, this is where you're going. Uh, you don't want to spell it out too much. You want, you know, for the audience, you want them to, um, you know, understand what's going on naturally. But I, I think he did an excellent job of uh, tying the scenes together using using Gower's lines. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Gower's the connective tissue, and, and it just it, it's very seamless and really provides the context that the audience needs. And... Uh, so this was a good jump into Middleine. Yep. Um, I really tried to go for kind of a sleazy sounding cultural cue for Middleine because it's kind of sleazy. <laughs> and uh, this one, I, I have to say, when I was putting together the, the soundscape for Middleine, I, I struggled with what to put in here because um, I originally I wanted horses and other things in the background, people talking, because I wanted to give the idea that it, this was a busy place. But then we had the fact that this was a brothel, and I wasn't sure it was going to translate very well that they were outside, that, that there was action going on outside the brothel. Mm. So I decided to kind of just fudge it, give it, you know, assume that it's, you know, it's a place of ill repute, it's closed up, and, you know, there's stuff inside that's going to dominate the sound. So I put in a little bit of fire and, you know, stuff like that. She quickly pooped him. Yeah, it helps as you're directing to uh, to visualize the scene and kind of think of where the the camera is, so to speak. Obviously, in audio drama, there's no camera, but it's sort of helpful to to think, you know, if this were a TV show, for example, like where would the camera be positioned um, in this scene? Like, uh, you know, are you between the actors? Are you in a corner of the room, sort of overhearing them? Um, that mm -hmm. kind of thing is a is a neat way and a helpful way often to to visualize what's uh, what's going on. That dimensionality is everything in audio drama. So yes. yeah, really finding that way to to put the person in the action is important. Mm -hmm. I want to give a plug here for uh, Martha Putnam's sights as the Baud, um, one of my favorite performers in this episode, and uh, someone that I actually uh, met, uh, you know, when I during my time in Boston doing uh, on-stage audio drama um, with a uh, with a group that performs in the in the Boston area. Uh, she was uh, the host of of this show with uh, live foley and sound effects and performances and such. So it was neat to uh, be able to sort of reconnect with her via the appendant and uh have her audition for this production and 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 honestly when uh when um when i saw that she auditioned i was like oh you know she she would be a perfect fit for the bod and lo and behold audition i uh, listened to our audition and uh said yep she nailed it <laughs> got, got oh, it down flat mm. this was a perfect role for martha yeah well follow me my masters I mean, the you know the actor who's who's playing uh, the husband was really great as well. Mm -hmm. Let's see, Edward Herman as Pander, and then we also have as uh, Bolt uh, Bruce Gamenley. 
Uh, yes, both both did a great job bringing bringing the sleaze to this scene. <laughs> yep. With warrant of her virginity and cry, he that shall give most shall have a <laughs> That's my favorite line right there, I think. <laughs> from uh from Martha's dialogue anyway. Yep. I like that Leonine was so slack, so slow. He should have struck, not spoke. Or that these pirates, not enough barbarous, had not overboard thrown me for to seek my mother. Yeah, again, um, I think we've mentioned in previous commentaries, you know, what uh, what's so great about what Pendant does. Um, and, you know, you see in scenes like this and throughout this production is uh, the fact that actors are all recording remotely, kind of on their own time. But uh, at the at the end of the day, you assemble the final product and uh, you'd you'd never be able to tell. Um, you would you would assume that, uh, you know, actors were kind of recording live or even in the same space. But uh it's really one of the most magical elements of uh, working on these shows, and most rewarding I found is uh, is uh, taking all these actors literally all over the world and uh, putting them in the same room is uh, is super super neat. Something you'd never be able to do, obviously, on TV or just about any other medium at all. But you can do it very well with audio drama. It is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, we you know we sit down, we imagine the scene, and we try to put ourselves in it, and somehow it all comes together in. A common consciousness, and it, it comes off well. It's it's well received, and everybody has a good time. So, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. The gods defend me. If it please the gods to defend you by men, then men must comfort you. Men must feed you. Men must stir you up. Now, sir. Hast thou cried her through the market? I have cried her almost to the number of her hairs. I've drawn her picture. I'm just amazed that he managed to talk to so many people in the span of like five lines. <laughs> exactly. Especially of the younger sort. Yeah, must be quick. They listened to me as they would have hearkened to their father's testament. There was a Spaniard's mouth. Yeah, you were talking earlier about the challenges of ambience um and finding the right ambient sound and i've i've found the same same thing frankly it, you know it's uh individual sound effects for for certain things um they can be a challenge to find like you were saying about the knife the knife pulling for example but um i think it's more challenging really setting the right ambience for the scene because it impacts the entire scene start to finish you know if you if uh if it's if it's too loud or it doesn't fit quite right or um, you know, seagulls, for example, if you have seagulls in the background, it could almost provide an unintentionally comical effect, whereas, uh, you know, you want the tone of the scene to be serious. Um, it, uh, yeah, I would say by far is one of the most, uh, most difficult things to, to get just right, really sort of a make or break type of thing. Yep. Less is more in, in audio drama. I mean, usually you can rely on the actor yep. to carry the, the scene and then use everything else to supplement. And exactly. that's the that's the rule. Don't overpower the actor. Yes, yes. And then another challenge on top of that is, you know, people are listening through so many different mediums. You don't know if somebody's going to be listening in their car. 
um, you know, on uh, Apple earbuds, on, uh, you know, you know, thick headphones like, uh, you know, you and I probably wear when we edit our stuff. Um, people could be listening in so many different ways, even a Bluetooth, you know, single Bluetooth speaker in their in their kitchen, for example. Um, there are so many different ways people could be listening and you want to do your best to make it sound great, um, regardless of what they're listening on. And that's a big challenge for me personally. It's, uh, you know, getting the, the match of the ambience and the, the voice, um, the mix between the two, I should say, rather. Um, exactly right, because it, it might be, you know, too loud on headphones, but then too quiet on the speakers. So you got to sometimes go back and endlessly uh, rejigger things and listen to it yourself on, uh, on uh, different methods as well to make sure the end user uh, hears it exactly as you intended. When nature flamed this piece, she meant thee a good turn. Therefore, yeah, I remember listening to these scenes at least 15, 16 times through just to make sure that everything was properly balanced. I warrant you, yep. mistress, thunder shall not so awake the beds of eels as my giving out her beauty stir up the lewdly inclined. Yes, for sure. And then you have actors who, um, you know, might submit their lines relatively loud, others relatively quiet. Definitely got to match them as as best as you can, because otherwise it could sound super uneven and, and that uh, can be jarring to the listener. You never want the listener to have to crank their volume up and down as they listen to the episode, that's for sure. Yes, the, the general rule for the listeners at home who might want to audition for a show, the mm -hmm. volume is... The volume's okay. I mean, you, you, we can adjust volume. We can fix those kinds of things. The biggest issue that we have generally is the space in which you record. Mm, if it's yes. not properly insulated, then uh, you know, if you don't have the if you don't have pillows and blankets to to kind of mitigate the sound around you, then you start to uh, to degrade your sound quality, and that can affect the performance or it can affect the ability to cast a person in a role. So uh, it's always important to pay attention to that element the most. Uh, that's the most important element to look at when you're recording lines or auditioning for a show. Because we can make the adjustments fairly well uh, with, a, with a volume. We can do compression and we can do other things that will kind of put everything on an even keel. Exactly. But we can't fix the sound quality of the space. Exactly. Yeah. And if all else fails, the blanket over the head approach uh, uh, pretty much will, will never fail you. Not particularly comfortable. <laughs> I've, I've done it several times myself and it gets it gets a little hot after a few minutes, but uh, it uh, goes a long way towards, you know, deadening your space. Um, if you don't have the luxury of working in a space that's already relatively uh, reverb free, which many of us don't, of course. I mean, I can tell you, uh, this month I became a professional full-time voice actor, and I record in a blanket and pillow fort. I set it up every day. I've got, I've got <laughs> pillows, blankets, and everything surrounding me. I'm sitting in it right now. It is, it is generally extremely hot, but <laughs> it gets the job done. the The quality is decent, and anything that I need to to work on, I can I can use to I can process it in my uh, computer program and like Audacity or RX-7 Elements and kind of get everything set up so it sounds good. You yep. don't need to have $1,000 worth of equipment. You can record with a $60 mic if you have a good enough space. Totally. You you absolutely can. And, uh, yeah, the vast majority of pendant actors uh, do. You know, they're not, uh, not full-time uh, voice artists necessarily. They're folks who, who enjoy, uh, you know, 
dabbling in it. Some some are professionals for sure, like like yourself, Adam, and uh, many others we have the luxury of, of working with. But, um, you know, love to see people from all walks of life and all different backgrounds getting independent. And like you said, it's a relatively, relatively uh, small investment you have to make to, to even sound, you know, really, really good on the microphone. I did four audiobooks on a blue snowball, so it can be done. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, well done. I don't yeah. recommend it. It's it's a living <laughs> hell trying to put all that, trying to fix all the audio, but uh, it can be done. Uh, yes. I'm a glutton always, for punishment. Always better to get it right on the front end than have to fix it on the back end. That is 100% true for, for any audio production whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we have Dionysa and Cleon arguing mm -hmm. like a married couple that's homicidal. Uh, <laughs> now we're jumping into the one appearance of Pericles in the entire episode. He gets to take the time off. Exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> Well-deserved break. So here again, trying to find a piece that was appropriately somber and that you know, one of the things I've gotten really lucky on is that I've found pieces that will last the length of the scene. Mm. And so I don't have to modify anything. I just have to kind of modify the space in the dialogue so that it'll fit. But if you do it right, you can pace it with the music and it all works very seamlessly. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. It, you know, sometimes you'll find a piece of music, but then it's too short, and you think, oh, should I try to loop it, maybe? Will that work? But that's that's tricky to do, you know, unless you're the original musician, obviously, which we aren't. Um, so it's, it's always nice when it comes in at just that right length. Yeah, trying to. I don't recommend trying to loop the music. I, I, I wholeheartedly recommend trying to make the dialogue fit in with the music. Exactly. Or to find a way to transition into another piece or out of the musical interlude so that it, mm. uh, it, it it's all seamless. Yep. So I'm curious, Adam, in terms of your workflow and, uh, you know, the order you do things, do you, um, do you layer on the music at the very end after everything else is all set? Or do you bring it in earlier as you're, as you're picking your ambience and your sound effects and that sort of thing? Music is always the the last thing that I bring in because I want that soundscape. I mean, that's the thing is that you you need the dialogue and you absolutely need the soundscape. Yep. Um, the music is a really good punctuation to what you're doing, but you you can't rely on it too much. It needs to add the flavor, but it can't overpower everything else. So uh, I always put it in at the very end once I've really got a firmly established idea in my mind and I've got the the tempo of the scene. Yep. figured out so that the, I can find music to match. Yep. Yep. That's uh, pretty much my, my exact approach. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to experiment sometimes pick, you know, two or three different pieces with a similar sort of, uh, tone and, uh, try them, layer them on the scene, listen to it for a few seconds and, and say, Oh, this is perfect. You know, no need to keep going or, eh, this isn't quite right. Time to, time to try another one. Yep. I, I, I think that's a great way to proceed. And, uh, you know, I for the longest time, I didn't use music because I didn't think I'd be any good at picking it. So I really stayed away from it for at least a good two, three years when I was, I was doing um, sound effects and audio engineering. 
And mm -hmm. uh, then because of Pendant, I started using the musical. Um, you know, I started using the music. And mm -hmm. honestly, it's pretty easy. I mean, you just it sometimes it can be pretty challenging to find the right piece. But mm -hmm. overall, it's it's an enjoyable thing to do. Yeah, it is such a cool feeling when, um, you know, the music just fits perfectly with the scene. Um, and uh, I've had a few moments like that during uh, the editing process for for the other episodes, some of the other episodes of Pericles, and it is just really, really uh, takes a scene from, um, you know, 7 out of 10 to, to 10 out of 10 uh, when you, when you mm. get it right. If she would. Uh, but there never came like her in my time. So here we have Lysimachus. King of Sleaze. Yes, he undergoes an interesting transformation himself. Um, rather different appearance you'll see of for him in uh, in episode five, that's for sure. And uh, one note, Adam, uh, you reminded me when you when you mentioned the Lysimachus is in Shakespeare, um, telling the actors exactly how to pronounce all the various names in the script um, is crucial. And it is so, so hard to do um, because, um, you know, you might have an actor who only has lines on the last two pages of the script. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if that's the case, you better make sure that you put a pronunciation guide on those last two pages too. So, uh, we've had a couple, a couple issues going back and asking actors to re-record, and all the actors we've, we've had to do that with have been perfect and, and, uh, you know, very gracious about redoing it. But, um, it's so important to, to get those pronunciation guides in there as best you can. Otherwise you're going to have people pronouncing stuff all over the map. <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I do the credits and for, for all pendant <laughs> shows. And I, I, I think I call them Lysimachus. And, uh, cause you know, when, when I learned the Greek names, that was kind of the, the rhythm and the, exactly. And the, yeah. You know, so I, I use that and I just naturally jumped into it. I didn't look at the pronunciation key either. So I, uh, I probably should have recorded it, but, uh, <laughs> I was dealing with the rest of the, the lines and effects and other things. I didn't think about it until it was too late. Yeah. So no, that's it, on me. Ah, uh, nah. It's uh, it's hard to get right, no matter uh, no matter what uh, production you're you're working on, and uh, spelling things out and getting the right syllabic emphasis and and everything can uh, can for sure be a challenge. And just in Shakespeare in particular, just the overwhelming number of location names and character names that that need to be pronounced correctly versus uh, you know a production in modern English just makes it all that much more difficult. <laughs> Absolutely. Dwelling proclaims you to be a creature of sale. Do you know this house to be a place? Yeah, a pivotal scene here for Marina and uh, Lysimachus. Now, now I can't even remember how it's pronounced myself. So who knows? We're we're both uh, probably butchering it here. But uh, where where she, um, you know, holds her own more than holds her own against him uh, and his ill intentions, and uh, you know, ends up uh, transforming his character as well. So this is a. This is a great scene here. Great dialogue. It is. How's this smorf be sage? I mean, with an amazing. Swear, I listened to him say "be sage" about a thousand times while I was putting everything together, <laughs> mixing in the the coin effect and the music. Caesars have been sold more dearer than physic. 
Oh, that the gods would set me free from this unhallowed place. Were they to change me to the meanest bird that flies in the pure air. I... I did not think thou couldst have... And again, finding the right music. I found this kind mm. of epiphany Fair music. Very good choice, yes. Had I brought hither a corrupted mind, thy... The light bulb has gone on. Hold. Here, I'm just going to give you a ton of uh, gold. Here, take it. The good gods preserve you. I will say, I do believe this clocks in at the longest episode of the five episodes of uh, of Pericles. So, good on you, Adam, for for that. Uh, that's uh yeah, the you know it takes an average of uh, an hour or so per minute of finished audio. So clearly, lots of uh, lots of work going into this one as the longest episode of the series. I believe I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. It was pretty long, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, when you get the script, you kind of eyeball it and think, ah, probably roughly one minute per per page, but. Uh, doesn't work out exactly that way, uh, for sure. There's so many different elements that can influence length, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the, the one minute is one page is a pretty good rule of thumb, but overall, um, you can... You, you may end up having to create a different pace to it, which will make it last longer. So here, here where, you know, they're all really pissed at Marina because once again she took a high profile customer and didn't deliver. Yep. Managed to divert him. Um, you know, the, the, this is a scene that needed kind of a rapid tempo and then it needed to kind of come to, to a, a very, very abrupt uh, slowdown because, you know, there's all this tension building up, but we're still, it's not going to happen the way the audience thinks. Solid music choice here. Thank you. Mistress, come your ways with me. Whither wilt thou have me? Very ominous, as you don't know what they're going to do with Marina exactly, what will become of her. Mm-hmm. Prithee, tell me one thing first. Come now, your one thing. What canst thou wish thine enemy to be? Why, I could wish him to be my master, or rather, my mistress. Neither of these are so bad as thou art. Since they do better thee in their command, thou holdest the place for which the painedest fiend of hell would not in reputation change. Thou art the damned doorkeeper to every coistrel that comes inquiring for his tip. To the choleric fisting of every I have to say, this is probably one of the one of the uh, one of the in episodes where you find the most archaic terms, like the the coistrel, mm. the choleric fisting, the tib, and uh -huh. so a lot of times I was sitting there going, I have no idea what they're talking about, but it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, I, I definitely have been known to, to Google dialogue in Shakespeare and have plenty of times throughout this production to make sure I understand oh, yeah. what are you saying, as I'm sure the actors who have voiced these roles had to do themselves many, many times, and I've been impressed continually at uh, how this entire cast has taken lines that, uh, you know, you probably have to read several times in a row to understand what the heck they're even saying and uh, manage to get oh, yeah. the interpretation just right every time. Well, sometimes the understanding comes better when you're you're putting it all together and you've got the the sound and you've got the context. Sure. It kind sure. of makes it more real. But can you teach all this you speak of? And once again, Marina wins out, uh, outwitting Bolt here, and uh, convincing him to change his ways. Great scene. An impressive feat, considering uh, his whole career, he's served uh, the bod and done her bidding. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Marina's freaking magic, I guess. Yeah, she's kind of a Jedi, you know. This is exactly this is not the you're looking for. And in our next chapter, we shall see what became of Prince uh, I like Gower's lines here. At the end, he's always like, uh, he's sort of like, on the next episode of Breaking Bad. He's like basically exactly. the equivalent of that. <laughs> All right. And uh, Adam, you coming in with the credits means that uh, our time yep. has come to an end here. Um, yes, Thank it you is. all for, for listening in. Uh, like uh, Adam said, fourth episode out of five. So one more to come. Really appreciate all of you who have uh, hung in throughout this entire series. And uh, in just another month, you will get to see this to uh, the conclusion. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you all for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary, and we will see you for the last episode. So long. Take care. Directed by Adam Blanford and Jeff Robinson. Produced by Pendant Productions. This production is copyright 2021, Pendant Productions.